Blog Talk Radio. Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday. It is February the 19th, 2021. And what a week it has been. Um, I, I wake up in the morning wondering, what is Joe Biden going to do next? Holy smoke. Well, anyway, I, I thank you for joining me. We're living in a very wacky era. And uh, what a contrast between the administrations of uh, Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Um, Donald Trump clearly understood the importance of security, sovereignty, borders, words that seem to be an anathema to not only Joe Biden, but the Democrat Party that uh, has a wagon that seems to have lost its wheels. And and full disclosure, I'm a lifelong registered Democrat, but this certainly isn't the Democrat Party that I registered with back when I was in college. I don't want to think back to how many decades ago it was. The Democratic Party has undergone a metamorphosis. Uh, I remember that word from when I was in uh, public school. I think first grade, I impressed the hell out of my teachers because um, I discussed metamorphosis and how an ugly caterpillar turned into a beautiful butterfly, and the process was called metamorphosis. Well, frankly, it seems as though the Democrat Party has gone in the opposite direction, taking what used to be the party of blue-collar, hard-working Americans, the party that attracted me, attracted my mom and dad and most of my friends, and turned into something truly ugly. This is one hell of a metamorphosis. I want to start out <clears throat> by reading something to you. I just stumbled upon this just as I was preparing to go on the air this evening. Uh, I participated, as you probably know, if you follow my program and, and, and read my articles. You know I've been before numerous hearings in the House and Senate testifying about immigration from the perspective of, uh, as, as an expert witness, having worked for the former INS um, for 30 years. I spent my first four years as an immigration inspector. I spent one of those four years as an adjudications officer doing the marriage interviews. And then I rotated, <clears throat> pardon me, all of the squads within the investigations branch at the New York um, District Office for the INS, the Immigration and Naturalization Service, the agency that was sliced, diced, and reconstituted when the Department of Homeland Security was created by George W. Bush. And I was frustrated the way Bush did it. Under Bush's uh, alleged leadership, I came to call DHS the Department of Homeland Surrender. And if I was Uh, frustrated with George W., uh, I can't even tell you what I thought when Obama came to town. There's nothing inherently unreasonable or immoral about making certain that a country does not let people in who would pose a threat to the well-being of that country or their citizens. If you go to a bar, they have bouncers. If you go to the Congress, they have the sergeant at arms. It's an established concept that when someone enters into someone else's home, business, property, uh, the person that owns the property has control over who gets in and uh, under what conditions they can stay. 
the immigration laws aren't about race or religion or ethnicity. I will tell you, if that's what the immigration laws were about, I couldn't have enforced them for 30 seconds, let alone 30 years. And if you look at the categories of aliens who are supposed to keep out of the United States, there isn't a single word about race or religion or ethnicity. If you go to Title VIII, United States Code Section 1182, um, that lists the categories of aliens who are to be excluded, who are inadmissible. It starts with aliens who have dangerous communicable diseases. And boy, is that relevant today with COVID-19, do you think? Ellis Island, after all, was a quarantine station. And in keeping with that, the next category are aliens who suffer severe mental illness. And then we get to criminals and terrorists and spies and human rights violators. <clears throat> and, and the folks at Antifa should be very happy because it also deems that Nazis are inadmissible, along with terrorists and spies. What's the problem? What's the issue? We get to aliens who were previously deported and aliens who, if they work, would displace American workers and drive down wages, something that Joe Biden seems to be encouraging. He's made it clear that there should be no distinction made by anybody working in the United States. Come one, come all. We don't have enough jobs for Americans, but screw Americans. The hell with America first and Americans first. Americans, you go to the back of the line. Who do you think you are? I think it's American Express who uses the phrase, membership has its rewards. Well, you would think that citizenship should have its rewards, but not in Joe Biden country. In Joe Biden country, quite the opposite seems to be happening. This is insanity on steroids. But back on March 10, 2005, just about three and a half years after the terror attacks of September 11, 2001, the House of Representatives Subcommittee on Immigration, Border Security, and Claims conducted a hearing on interior immigration enforcement resources, and I was one of the witnesses called to that hearing. And I, I want to read something <clears throat> by a member of Congress, and I'm going to let you guess who the member is and what party that member of Congress belongs to. I'm going to read the entire statement. What do you think of that? So put on your seatbelt, lean back, and brace yourself. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. The chairman at the time, John Hostetler, had just finished providing his prepared statement. I hope I'm not giving you too big a hint here. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. Let me also welcome the witnesses as well. Welcome new members of our committee, particularly those on the minority side. We welcome, as the chairman has done, those who have been added on the majority side. We have had now a series of hearings on how we can do better, and frankly, we've also had a series of hearings that will point out some of the fractures in the system. Today we talk about the ICE functions and the Bureau of Immigration and Customs Enforcement that was merged, had merged investigative functions, the former Immigration and Naturalization Service and the Customs Service. Yesterday in the Homeland Security, we had the opportunity as well to listen to the questions being raised as to whether or not we should re re-engage those two entities under one, and whether or not the idea of enforcement inside the United States and enforcement at the border should be as one, something that I had proposed, by the way, folks, just so you know. So this was ringing true for me, certainly. Frankly, Mr. Chairman, I think that in light of the needed requirements to up it, if you will, to ratchet up on protecting this nation, I think that we should leave no stone unturned on how we could be more effective in doing that. 
So this is a particularly important hearing as we address the question of whether or not we have the appropriate resources, and the resources here, folks, are for the interior enforcement of our immigration laws. In other words, arresting illegal aliens. Perish the thoughts. This uh, member of Congress goes on and says, the Bureau of Immigration and Customs Enforcement merged into the investigative function of the former Immigration and Naturalization Service and Customs Service, the INS detention, the removal functions, most of the INS intelligence operation, the Federal Protective Service, and the Federal Air Marshal Service. ICE's areas of responsibility include the enforcement of laws dealing with the presence and activities of terrorists, human trafficking, commercial alien smuggling operations, document fraud, and drug trafficking, and many important aspects of their work have been successful. Just recently, for example, we were able to applaud Operation Predator, which was able to bring in 5,000 arrests since 2003 on the question of those who are non-citizens who have come to this country and have been predators against our children. Also, for instance... ICE investigators conducted an eight-month investigation last year of two men who were selling false identity documents to members of terrorist organizations. The ICE investigators developed such a strong case against these individuals that they pleaded guilty on February the 28th, 2005. Think about that. That's uh, almost exactly 16 years ago, folks, right? 2005, to a charge of involvement in a conspiracy to sell false documents to purported members of Abu Saif a Philippines-based group that has been designated as a foreign terrorist organization. The Intelligence Reform and Terrorism Prevention Act of 2004 authorized 800 new ICE investigators for fiscal year 2006 through fiscal year 2010. The president's budget only requested funding for 143 new ICE investigators for fiscal year 2006, which is only 17% of the authorized number. We need all of the 800 additional ICE investigators authorized by the Intelligence Reform and Terrorism Prevention Act. And it was George W. Bush, by the way, who did that. And again, uh, it gives you blatant evidence as to why I was frustrated with George W. And this member of Congress goes on and says, and with a little lightness, the chairman, maybe the administration was simply trying to tease us, to egg us on, to see if we had the stomach to do what is right. And that means that we need to fully fund the 800 additional ICE investigators. Let's take the bait, if you will. Accept the challenge and do what we need to do. The National Intelligence Reform and Terrorism Prevention Act also authorized 8,000 new detention beds each year from fiscal year 2006 through 2010. The president, however, again, President George W. Bush, the president, however, has requested funding for 1,920 beds for fiscal year 2006, which is only 24% of the authorized number. Mr. Chairman, I know that you are headed to the border, at least a portion thereof, and I've spent some of my time at the border with Congressman Ortiz. I saw what the need was and the crisis. Hardworking men and women who understand the needs of securing the border, but more importantly, understanding the needs of retaining those who have entered this country illegally. They cannot do their job without fully funding these detention beds and the recognition that, in fact, we have a responsibility to provide them, meaning the Border Patrol, with necessary resources. Now, to have 8,000 detention beds also means we must have a process that recognizes the need for an expedited response to individuals who are detained. It doesn't make any sense to detain individuals for months and months, separating them from family 
and not allowing them to petition their rights in the immigration judicial system, we must fix that as well. Again, these beds are necessary to provide appropriate detention facilities for asylum seekers. Let's detain the people who apply for asylum and to detain people who might be dangerous. But as I said, we must find a pathway, a justice system that allows those asylum asylum systems to be heard as quickly as possible. I, I think the word should have been applications, but that's okay. And then this Congress member goes on and says, in a recently issued report on asylum seekers and expedited removal proceedings, the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom provides information about 19 detention facilities that house detention seekers. And, and this member of Congress goes on about the need to have the resources to arrest and detain people who are here illegally, illegally. Guess who that member of Congress was? That member of Congress called me to testify at two hearings, the hearing about how two dead terrorists, Muhammad Atta and Marwan al-Shaheed, could have been granted authorization to attend flight school six months to the day after the attacks of 9-11. And they were, getting tra- they were authorized to take training as pilots, flight training. And then about two years later, the same member of Congress called me to testify as her witness on the issue of alien smuggling, and I convinced her that alien smuggling involves far more than the Mexican border that we needed to look at visa fraud. And, in fact, they changed the title and focus of the hearing. And I made the analogy that when we build fences to protect property, when we put up gates, we don't put them next to the building we're protecting, but at the furthest extremity of the land on which the building is built. And I said that an effectively administered visa requirement, in essence, pushes America's borders out from the geographical borders of the United States to the embassies and consulates where visas are issued. They changed the title of the hearing and included the phrase pushing out the borders, recognizing the reasonableness of my proposal, making that analogy. Any idea who we're talking about? Sit down, grab your seatbelt, brace yourself, brace for impact. Sheila Jackson Lee. You heard me right, the congresswoman from Texas, Sheila Jackson Lee. How in the world did Sheila Jackson Lee go from a position of reasonableness to where we are today? How did all of them get to where they are today? It blows me away. It leaves me thunderstruck. It leaves me doing more than scratching my head because we're living in a perilous era. And you cannot tell me that Sheila Jackson Lee doesn't get the issue. She sure as hell gets the issues. I just read her words. Those were her words, not Mike Cutler's words, but Sheila Jackson Lee's words. More detention space, more agents, more resources to be able to arrest and detain people who are here illegally. Back up the Border Patrol. Back up the Border Patrol. Wow. Does it not leave you thunderstruck? Does it not suck the breath out of your lungs? How did we get from that to where we are today? I saw an article a couple of days ago or a week ago. I think I may have mentioned it on my program. I've done a number of radio shows. By the way, tomorrow night I'll be, at least I'm scheduled to be, on Newsmax television at 9.45 p.m. East Coast time. That's Saturday. And then the next day I'll be on Dr. Dave Janda's program, Operation Freedom, on WAAM, Operation Freedom, 
It's a radio show that we'll be broadcasting on WAAM. That's the station. Uh, I'll be on from 2.30 until 3 o'clock East Coast time in the afternoon on Sunday. And, you know, after you do all these programs, they kind of blur after a while. This morning I was on Bobby Gunther's program up at WAEB in, in, in Pennsylvania. But there was an article that was written in ProPublica about how hundreds of workers at various meat processing plants, including Tyson, died because of COVID. And I called up the reporters and I said, well, this is a great piece that you did. It's certainly disconcerting. The idea that people are dying at work or dying anywhere. My job in law enforcement was to preserve lives and, and create safety. You know, we didn't carry a gun to go out and shoot people. The way the police and law enforcement are being vilified, the gun was there for self-defense, period. We weren't hitmen. And every time I took a bad guy off the street, I went home that night and thought, well, <clears throat> maybe we prevented some more people from being raped or shot or robbed or killed or beaten feeling of accomplishment. Maybe we saved some people some suffering, saved families some suffering. What a unique way to look at law enforcement, isn't it? So I called up these two reporters. I left messages, and lo and behold, two days later, they called me back. And I said, you know, with all this talk about how horribly these people are being treated in the workplace, did you explore whether or not they're here illegally? Because that's the reason people generally hire illegal aliens is to be able to exploit them, treat them like crap, make them work under substandard, very often illegally dangerous conditions, pay them dirt wages. That's not compassion. And we got into this whole big discussion. Both reporters very willing to listen. And one of them said to me, well, do you think that E-Verify, making it mandatory, would solve the problem? I said, no. I said, this is a system, and you can't, fix a system by plugging one hole. It's like trying to plug one hole in the bottom of a colander and calling it a bucket. You have to understand that if you put resources in one direction, the, the bad guys are going to go in another direction. It's a game of whack-a-mole. It's a balloon. You squeeze one end, it bulges at the other. Use whatever analogies you want. He said, well, but if there was one thing we could do, I said, but one thing isn't going to do it because there's so many different and we, we got into the circular argument, but he said, you're making it sound more complicated, perhaps, than it needs to be. And that made me think. And then it dawned on me, the light bulb went off, and they said, you know what? You are right. There is one thing that could solve the whole damn problem. And I could hear by his voice on the end of the, other, other end of the phone or the other end of the conversation that he was all fired up. He says, really? What's that one thing? Well, can you imagine what I said? Stop campaign contributions because they're bribes. They're bribes. The term campaign contribution is Orwellian. Call it what it is, a bribe. <clears throat> if you stop the bribery, maybe then we would really address the issues in a way that serves the purposes of America and Americans instead of the corporations that want to fire Americans and destroy the wage structure for people that work for a living. Think about it. We have become so corrupt. I, I don't know why Biden doesn't appoint a new position in the cabinet. If I was to talk to him, I'd say, hey, Joe, when you, when you have a, a salient moment, when you have a conscious moment, maybe you need to create a new position for your cabinet, the auctioneer, the auctioneer. I mean, what am I bid for the future of our country, the future of our children, our national security, our middle class? What, what are we bid for that? 
It's outrageous what is now happening. But I want you to think about what Sheila Jackson Lee had to say. And you can go online and you can find it. I'm probably going to write about it because I think it really nails the issue. But this was the House Immigration Subcommittee under the Judiciary Committee. The hearing date was March the 10th, 2005. And the topic of the hearing was Interior Immigration Enforcement Resources. And there's Sheila Jackson Lee criticizing President Bush for not hiring all the agents that he could hire or making certain that we had enough detention space for aliens who we need to arrest. Think about where she is today. Think about where she was then. What the hell happened that she's not alone? She's not alone. I doubt you're listening to this program, Sheila, but I'd love for you to explain it to me because I enjoyed working with you and I testified for you at those two hearings. You were rational. You were reasonable. You understood the dangers to our country. And you really wanted to find solutions. What the hell happened? How did you get so derailed? How did you get so uncoupled from reality? I'd love to know. What happened to you and what happened to your colleagues in that cesspool? I don't call it a swamp. Swamps are natural. They're part of the environment. Critters live in swamps. Washington is a cesspool. That's what it really is. So how did you go, Miss Jackson Lee, from that position on March 10, 2005, to where you are on immigration today, along with your cohorts of both parties, both parties, Democrat and Republicans? That's really the $64 question, isn't it? Takes my breath away. Joe Biden came out with a new executive order. Let me see if I could pull this up for you. It will blow your mind, I'm sure. Because what he's really done, handcuff, and I mean it sincerely, handcuff ICE agents. I mean, just think about that. What Joe Biden really wants to do is handcuff the ICE agents. And it makes absolutely no sense. Because what he's really calling for now, if I can pull this up real quickly, let me see if I can find this. I'm on my computer looking for this even as I speak to you. I am multitasking, folks. And you thought I couldn't walk and chew gum at the same time. Ha. Huh. This should prove otherwise. Hang on one moment. I should have it in two seconds. I normally have these things lined up. But I was remiss today. Shame on me. Okay. Uh, okay. Here we are. So, <clears throat> the Washington Post published an article yesterday, February the 18th. Here's the title of the Washington Post article. Biden memo for ICE offices points to fewer deportations and strict oversight. Let me read to you a little bit of this article. If I want to dissect it for you, because that's what I did in one of these pieces I just wrote for Front Page Magazine, so I'm giving you a sneak preview. Only here on my program do you get that, and it doesn't cost a dime. So let's begin the article. U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement offices will need pre-approval from a senior manager before trying to deport anyone who is not a recent border crosser, a national security threat, or a criminal offender with an aggravated felony conviction according to interim enforcement memo issued by the Biden administration on Thursday. 
course, he was issued by the administration. I'm not sure that Joe could stay focused long enough to write this himself, but God only knows. The narrower priorities are expected to result in a steep drop in immigration arrests and deportations. Biden officials said that the new guidelines, which will be in effect for the next 90 days, will allow the agency to make better use of its resources while prioritizing public safety threats. President Biden, who has rejected calls from liberal Democrats to abolish ICE, has taken several measures during his first month to reverse his predecessor's immigration policies, meaning Trump, and chart a much different course, reigning in an agency with a reputation for zealous enforcement under President Donald Trump, was at the top of Biden's list. So let's look at that very first paragraph. They will need pre-approval from a senior manager before trying to deport anyone who's not a recent border crosser. Let's just stop and look at that question. Now, maybe it's not apparent to you. Maybe it is to me because I spent 30 years doing this job. But how do you know how recently an alien ran the border? I'm serious. This is, this is a serious question. And no, it's not like when did the chicken cross the road or how or why, but how do you know when someone came here? That statement that the, that the agent should not arrest anyone who is not a recent border crosser, well, guess what that tells any illegal alien living in the United States right now? If they are encountered by an ICE agent, an Immigration and Customs Enforcement agent, they're going to have to be asked, when did you enter the United States? And they've got to be thoroughly brain damaged to say, oh, I just got here even if they just got here. So the guy that ran the border last Thursday hopped on a bus and gets to New York, gets off the bus at the Port Authority bus terminal, and he's encountered by the cops, and they call ICE, which will never happen because the cops are not allowed to work with ICE, but in a fantasy world it used to be that way. What do you think these guys are going to say? I got here last Thursday, or I've been here for the last three years? Well, you know the answer. Just like the amnesty. To apply for amnesty, you had to have entered the United States no later than January 1st of this year. Do you think that these people are going to tell the truth? No. I came here three years ago. I came here four years ago. And all you do is go out and, and, and buy rent receipts and con ed bills, and they're using 15 different fake names. You know how many illegal aliens I arrested in my career? And when you search them, they had five, six, eight, ten sets of ID on them. I kid you not. Where did you get three Social Security cards? Oh, I found them in the street. So let me ask you, have you folks ever found a Social Security card in the street? I actually arrested people who had 10 of them, different names, different numbers, and claimed they found them at different times on different street corners. Just like daisies, you just kind of pluck one when you need a Social Security card because they're everywhere floating around. Baloney. It's garbage. It's lies. How, as an agent, can you turn around and say, you're full of it, because you came last Thursday? How can you make a case? So if, if, if the person says, I came here a year ago, you're done. You are done. You stand up and you walk away and you say, have a nice day, pal. Where would you ever see this in any other situation involving law enforcement? And then they say, well, Unless they're a national security threat, how do you know who's a national security threat? I'm not going to give it away because I'm going to want you to read my article in Front Page Magazine, but I detailed two cases of people who seem to be nobodies, a guy working in a factory, a guy with an altered visa, and wait till you see what developed from those cases, earth-shaking cases in one case in particular. 
what does a terrorist look like? You know, the James Bond movies, the music changes, the lighting changes, the guy looks like a monster. They have a little scene where he kills somebody or he tells one of his henchmen, kill him. And you know, oh, he must be the bad guy. In the real world, it doesn't happen that way. We have no idea who the bad guys are. I'm sure that there are terrorists who walk among us and they smile and they're happy because they look at people and they go, yeah, you'll be dead soon, you'll be dead soon. If you saw the pictures of the 9-11 hijackers getting on the airplane the day of 9-11, there was nothing about them that distinguished them from anybody else other than the fact they were carrying box cutters, but back then no one cared about box cutters apparently. But do you understand the point? So this is all garbage. It's all garbage. And the article goes on and says this. By focusing our limited resources on cases that present threats to national security and border security and public safety, our agency will be more ably and effectively execute its law enforcement mission, says Acting acting Director Kay Johnson. uh, We must prioritize our efforts and achieve them with the greatest security impact. This is wild. This is wild. And Jim Jordan and James Comer, members of Congress, said that this is outrageous. Scores of individuals have already been proven themselves to be public safety threats by arrest or conviction. Uh, it goes on about this. They're not going to arrest people that engage in drunk driving. Oh, you're only going to mow people down with a car? That doesn't sound too violent. Right? So here is how they justify this insanity. The Enforcement and Removal Operations Branch of ICE, which is responsible for immigration arrests, detention, and deportations, has a $4.1 billion budget and about 8,000 officers and staff. That works out to fewer than 6,000 ICE agents, and most of the time they're not even doing immigration work, folks. That was by design because George W. Bush is a globalist who didn't want immigration laws enforced even after 9-11. I've talked about it before, and it's worth remembering. This is a failure by design. Under the interim guidelines, ICE personnel will need to seek a pre-approval from one of ICE's 24 field office directors before arresting immigrants who fall outside the new enforcement priorities. The new rules do not exempt any individual unlawful in the United States from enforcement and deportation, Department of Homeland officials said, but rather provide clearer directions to ICE officers. Sure thing. So if you're an illegal alien and you don't have an outstanding criminal warrant, you never did jail time, you're, you're okay. You can go and work. We used to, when I was a new immigration agent, arrest people working in factories, even if they came with a visa, if the visa didn't permit them to work. That's why we had different categories of visas. Otherwise, what's the point? If you're here on a tourist visa, you're free to travel around, go to the ball game, go to the museum, go to you know wherever you want to go, go to the restaurants, visit your, your, your family or your friends, and then after no more than six months, go home. But you're not allowed to work. So a tourist visa is designed to protect American jobs. So we found somebody with a tourist visa. And let's say they were given six months to remain here, and they entered three weeks ago. So they didn't overstay the visa. They used that to overstay. No. But they still violated the visa by working on a tourist visa. And the remedy was very simple. We would put handcuffs on them and drive them into the office, and we would arrange for them to see an immigration judge within a day or two, and they would be sent home. This isn't a death sentence, folks. We're sending you home. You don't belong here. We're sending you back where you do belong. What is the problem? And if they made a claim for political asylum, it had to be not economic but political. 
I live in poverty is not an excuse to live in America. I'm sorry, because half the world lives below the poverty line, maybe three-quarters of the world. So how many billions of people would that be? Political asylum means that because of your race or your religion or your ethnicity or your political or sexual orientations, you are subject to discrimination or worse in your home country. That's what it's for. It's fair. But the fact that you live in a country that suffers from poverty, sorry. Now, if people came from other countries temporarily, or even if they were here illegally, and there was a catastrophe, we would give them temporary protective status. But, of course, the critical word here was temporary. And it's remarkable how people with temporary status could stay in America when their own countries were devastated by earthquakes, volcanoes, or hurricanes, tsunamis. And what were they doing in America while they were here? Oh, they were working in construction. Well, wait a minute. Temporary protected status because your country is a mess? Ever there was a time for a country's citizens to go home to help rebuild their own damn country, you would think it's after a catastrophe. Certainly the elderly and women and children and so forth, yes, we're not going to send them back to, to those kinds of conditions. And we, we do this all the time. We're the most humanitarian country in terms of these policies. But I'm still trying to figure out why you would give temporary protected status when there's devastation and you're allowing people from those countries to build houses in America when they ought to be building houses back home. But what do I know? And there's nothing dishonorable about building houses. My father was a construction worker. He was my hero, as was my mom. It infuriates me. So we're not going to go after anybody who isn't an aggravated fellow, meaning rapist, murderer, drug dealer, terrorist, whatever, bank robber. If you're not one of those, don't worry about it. Go get a job. Have a nice time. Hang out. It's cool. No, it's not cool because you're taking jobs Americans and lawful immigrants desperately need, especially under COVID. But ask yourself, does Joe Biden care? Of course not. The goal is to flood America. I wrote a piece for Front Page Magazine the title of my article is self-explanatory. For the Democrats to succeed, Americans must fail. Sometimes the conservative side of the argument is myopic. They're looking to bring in new voters. Yes, they are. But they're pushing all voters to the left. Because if you're living in poverty, you need financial help. And many of those people in, fin- in financial crisis have master's degrees. They were high-tech workers displaced by H-1B visa holders and other high-tech workers. By the way, Trump cut down on that drastically to protect the jobs for Americans. Joe Biden, the president of the Democrat Party, the party that used to be the party of working Americans, used to be the party of working Americans, no longer, said, oh, we'll bring in hundreds of thousands, whatever. How many do you want? Bring them all in. We'll give them jobs. So homelessness goes up. More children are stuck at home, can't go to school. The parents can't support them. America is rapidly descending into third world status. I'm not going to get into a a, a thing about what what happened on January the 6th. But I'm going to ask a question, and and I'd love someone to answer this. Why do you think a million people showed up in Washington when Trump lost the election? It was only a handful that were the wackaloons who should be in jail for all that they did. Okay, the violent protesters need to go to jail. 
That's not a conversation. It's not a discussion. Period. Full stop. No qualification. They committed a violent act. Peaceful protest is not what they did. First Amendment is the right for peaceable assemblage. That certainly wasn't peaceable. But why did a million people on a moment's notice show up? Bang, here we are. Because Americans are suffering cabin fever on steroids. They're angry. They're scared. They're concerned about their ability to support themselves, support their children. We are living through one of the most difficult eras, most dangerous upheavals in the history of the United States. And yet no one is looking at that and saying, gee whiz, how do we appeal to those people who are understandably worked up? Everyone wants to make them go away. Everyone wants to forget about the 74 million who voted for Donald Trump. Well, why do they vote for Donald Trump? Who cares? Let's shut them up. We hope they, they, they will forget what happened and we can go back to business as usual. So guess what? The Gallup company, Gallup Holding, did a survey. They found that something like 62%, this is a staggering number, fill in the blank to the statement, 62% of the people that were surveyed believe that America needs fill in the blank. What does America need? You ready? A third political party. Because they're looking at the Democrats and Republicans and saying, screw you, you're not meeting our needs. You don't care about us. You want to be able to wheel and deal and get those bribes from whether it's the U.S. Chamber of Commerce or or the American Immigration Lawyers Association or the banks or whomever. Silicon Valley, the high-tech company, they want the cheap labor and they're willing to pay for it. So screw Americans and we'll leave them out in the cold. And Americans realize they're being betrayed. It may take us a while to catch on, but even the dumbest of us are smart enough to understand what's happened. When 62% of the people surveyed says we need a third party, that's a wake-up call, folks. They don't believe in the Democrats. They don't believe in the Republicans. Frequently, they're one and the same. I call them the Republicrats. And the American people have caught on. And maybe that's the reason you have all the troops in Washington and all the gates, because Queen Pelosi, the ice cream queen, is probably looking around and going, holy smoke, these people are getting pissed. They're liable to come back and be angry with us. I wonder why. Well, I'm not recommending anyone go anywhere and do anything violent or insurrection, but we need to get our voices heard. I I saw this poster one day, and it was really thought-provoking. And what did the poster say? It showed all these people milling about. It was an overhead shot of people. It looked like an ant colony, all these heads. And it said, come back when you have a lobbyist. Come back when you have a lobbyist. What is the House of Representatives supposed to represent? Why would Americans need a lobbyist when we have a House of Representatives that's supposedly the people's house? Which goddamn people? The people with the fat checkbooks? It's astonishing. It's astonishing. No rational person would get on board an airplane if they saw people sneaking past TSA en route to their airplane. But we're being told that we have to live among millions of foreign nationals who have no right to be here. Their identities, backgrounds, or affiliations are unknown and likely unknowable. And they snuck in, but we're going to give them U.S. citizenship because we're America, and we're going to allow them to bring their families here. So forget this BS about 11 million. I've written about it, but let's reinforce the point. 
Yale University two years ago estimated there were 22.1 million illegals there. I think that's ridiculous. It's probably well over 30 million, maybe more. Reagan said a million. We wound up with almost 4 million. But the number that nobody talks about is how many children, how many spouses did Reagan's 4 million bring in? So if it's, let's say, 25 million today, that's a real optimistic number. It could be double that. Then let's say they only bring in four children each. And how many people will claim to be children and not be children? So will they have the ability or the desire to do DNA testing? They should. But considering that Alejandro Mayorkas, who runs this act, when he was in charge of Citizenship and Immigration Services, demanded that his underlings get to yes, approve applications or else. And that's where they are again, by the way. So you, you can have 48 people claiming, oh, yeah, that's my mommy, that's my daddy. Really? But if you do DNA, you might find out they're not. The point of the matter is, folks, optimistically speaking, if the Biden Democrat Party amnesty program passes, we could be looking at well over 100 million immigrants, immigrant children, in fact, coming to America. And that's remarkable when you think about the environment, because they need more than a pillow to sleep on. They need food and water. They need electricity. Think about Dallas, those poor folks. They're going to need sewerage and transportation and health care and education. Critical infrastructure goes out the window. Imagine the congestion. Imagine the inflation. So many more people looking for food. Think of what that would do to the cost of housing. How many more people wind up homeless? America could wind up looking like Venezuela in a year. In a year. And not a single reporter says to Joe Biden, well, why, why is this good news for Americans? Why would you do this? How does this help Americans? No one ever asked that question. When they used to have conferences on immigration at the Obama administration, they used to bring in what they called stakeholders. I used to call them snakeholders, okay? And who was it? Well, it was the Immigration Lawyers Association and the various charitable groups to get the money to handle the refugees. It's a cash business. The Ameri- then you have the, the various other, you know, the Chamber of Commerce and, you name it, all these organizations that literally make out like bandits by exploiting immigrant labor, cheap labor, exploitable labor. But there was never an invitation to the unions that represented the ICE agents or the Border Patrol agents or the people that had to adjudicate the applications. Nobody who was just part of the normal citizenry were invited. They did invite some mayors, though. And generally it was the mayors who had, what, sanctuary cities. So they're all in. But how do Americans not get considered to be stakeholders when America establishes immigration policies? Think about that. And this article goes on and says Biden's narrower priorities will also apply to arrests for immigrants being released from prison or jail, as well as at large enforcement targeting individuals in their homes, neighborhoods, the official said. And here's something that's disconcerting. For those arrests, ICE will be required to alert local law enforcement officials of their plans. So they go to the chief of police who works for a mayor who's created a sanctuary city, and what do you think the mayor's going to do? They'll call up the house and say, oh, by the way, tomorrow morning ICE is coming. So either the ICE agents are going to walk into an armed conflict or the people are going to flee. We never had to do that. Why in the world? if you're making an arrest, and why can't you arrest individuals who are simply here illegally? 
so that it backs up the Border Patrol and, and the inspectors at the ports of entry. So if they tell some guy, you have to leave by August 10th, and here it is, October or whoever, we're not going to arrest him. So what was the point in giving him a date? You have to leave by such and such date. It doesn't matter. It's all a sham. And as soon as people realize it's a sham, it's all over. This was the broken windows concept to law enforcement. You go through a neighborhood where there's abandoned buildings and broken windows. People look at that and they go, I can get away with anything. But by going after people who break the windows, by going after the people who insist on watching, washing the windows on your car, probably with a dirty diaper, been there, believe it or not, you have bedlam in the streets. You have street crime. Well, don't we have that? Shootings and rapings and muggings. But that's okay. That's okay. We're just trying to be compassionate. Not to the rape victim, not to the woman who gets her brain splattered on the sidewalk. Or the parent who comes home and finds the kid was killed in a drive-by shooting. They don't get compassion. They're Americans. Are you kidding me? If you were here illegally, then we'll do something. You're an American citizen. What do you want us to do for you? Bury your dead child? Seriously, are you kidding? We don't care about Americans. We want to bring in foreign workers. It's exciting. They're new. They're different. They can't speak the language. and They'll work for one-third the wage. How cool is that? This is what America is turning into. Thank you, Mr. Biden. Thank you to all your politician friends, both parties. They couldn't wait for Trump to be out of office. Why do you think Trump had such a rough time? I'm not going to say the guy was a saint. I had issues with the use of his language, how he failed to articulate his plans more effectively. He should have been able to bring everybody along. But that's for another day. But as soon as he announced the presidency, both parties had an oh crap moment. They said, oh my God, we can't control this guy. He doesn't take our money. He's going to be sitting in the Oval Office. He's going to be able to see everything that's going on. Now with that big mouth of his, he's going to tell all of the Americans the way they're being screwed over by the politicians that they elected to supposedly represent them. Oh my God, what are we going to do? And he started off with a bang, making fun of Bernie Sanders, saying, hey, crazy Bernie, you're not going to win the election. The fix is in. And it was. The Democrat Party came up with superdelegates. And I kept having this image in my mind of delegates wearing red capes or something. Superdelegates. You know, a frantic moment. Oh, my God, Bernie Sanders is liable to win the primary. How do we rig it? And, and Trump had the chutzpah stand there and say, well, his system is, is fixed. It's rigged. He was right. So all of these crooks in politics, and it's really hard to find crooked politicians, right? We know how hard that is. It's like trying to find a snowflake in a blizzard. So all the crooked politicians said, oh, my God, what do we do now? So it was attack, attack, attack. And everything that Trump wanted, they blocked, even a border wall, which, by the way, isn't the wall of hate. That's where the inability to communicate really hurt Trump. I'll keep making the point the border wall is not designed to keep anybody from entering the United States. If that was the goal, the wall would have blocked off the ports of entry, but it didn't. All it did was funnel everyone through a port of entry so people had to be vetted and they had to be able to create a record of their entry and the system has integrity and what's the problem with that? So the same politicians that hate border walls did a real good job of putting up high walls with razor wire around the Capitol, Queen Nancy, the ice cream queen. 
Or the Dairy Queen, she's the Ice Cream Queen. It's mind-boggling. It is mind-boggling to handcuff agents when we know from the 9-11 Commission. And it's funny that Pelosi wants a 9-11 Commission-style report. And she wants a 9-11 Commission report because um, because the um, uh, the real concern here is that um, there was an insurrection at the Capitol, an insurrection at the Capitol. It was an act of terrorism. So they don't want to address the idea of foreign terrorists coming to America, but they're going to look at Americans, maybe the 74 million who voted for Trump, and talk about deprogramming them because perhaps they're terrorists. When have we ever seen this happen in the United States before, folks? When have we ever seen America turn on its own the way that these politicians are turning on the average American? You have social media censoring us. You have Facebook and Twitter saying, oh, you're not allowed to put up fake information, whether it's about vaccines or climate change. Follow the science. And then Bill Gates comes out every other day with his proclamation. Of course, Bill Gates always follows the science. The man must have 15 PhDs. Actually, he doesn't have a single bachelor's degree. He's a college dropout. And all he ever did was basically plagiarize computer code or whatever he did with computers. But he's become an expert on vaccinations. He's become an expert on climate change. He's become an expert on diets. Yes, that's right. If you don't know, he's now advocating that we eat artificial steak, not the real thing, because cows fart. I guess he's an expert on hot gases coming out of the back end of cows. Follow the science. Follow the science. And when you look at the people being put up for jobs in the Biden administration, it never has anything to do about their qualifications. It's about what their skin color is or what their religion is or that their mother was an immigrant. Why does that matter? I'm first-generation American. My mom came here ahead of the Holocaust. My mother's mother, I was named for her, died in the Holocaust because we're Jews. Does that qualify me for any kind of a job? I don't think it does, but if Biden wanted to hire me, I don't know. First generation, son of an immigrant. Oh, let's hire him. I've never in my life heard of anything so outrageous. And I don't understand how anybody could fall for it, although I am watching when we talk about falling, we're watching the plunge of uh, Mr. Cuomo. And, and, and Andy Cuomo, you need to know that falling doesn't hurt a little bit, not even a tiniest amount. It's the damn sudden stop you got to look for. That's what gets you. It's the stop. It's just absolutely remarkable. Thousands of people die in nursing homes, and this guy stands on TV and spews utter gibberish. And up until a couple of weeks ago, the adoring crowds were applauding everything he said. And somehow the winds changed. See, sooner or later, I really believe that the wackaloons of the cancel party, the Democrats, will be going after each other. They'll be running around with little stamps. Can you see it? Hitting each other in the, in the forehead with the word cancel. Buying cancel, cancel, cancel. Maybe that's the way the, the Democrat party is going to go. They'll go the way of the cancel stamp. Boy, there's a funny image. Someone should draw a, ca- a cartoon like that. But what are we doing? 
there is nothing wrong with enforcing immigration laws to protect American lives, national security, public safety, public health, and the jobs and wages of Americans. And that's all that the laws are about. So anybody who opposes enforcing those laws are opposed to all the above. Think about that. Why else would you be opposed to enforcing the laws? Why would you not want to protect jobs for American workers? Think about that. It's absolutely incredible, and it's worrying, because if you read what the 9-11 Commission had to say, it was failures of interior enforcement, along with immigration fraud, that enabled terrorists repeatedly to enter the United States and carry out deadly attacks, or at least try to carry out attacks. In some cases, they were just inept, or they had bad luck, or the good guys got to them before they could set off their bombs. And in some cases, they succeeded. 9-11 the Boston Marathon, San Bernardino. We can go down the list. So I'm looking at Biden, and I'm looking at the Democrat Party, and I'm looking at what they're foisting on America and Americans, and I wonder if some reporter, so-called, will finally have the spine to stand up at the White House and ask Biden, why in the world would you take the actions that you're taking, bringing in so many people, at a time when we don't have enough vaccines for Americans, and now Biden has committed $4 billion to vaccinate the rest of the world? You're the President of the United States, not the Secretary General of the United Nations, Joe Biden. Maybe you're confused about what your job is. Maybe you are confused. I'm not. And there are tens of millions of Americans who are no longer confused. We see things with real clarity. That's why 62% of the people surveyed by Gallup says, what? We need a third party because they recognize they've been betrayed by both parties. We figured it out. took us long enough, but we finally figured it out. Americans are being made to pay a price because of their being betrayed by the people that are supposed to represent them and our country that are supposed to defend the Constitution instead of sliced it and diced it so they can be bribed, so they can grab power, just like a banana republic. And we're not talking about a clothing store here, folks. It's disgraceful. It's disgraceful. It blows my mind. I mean, I'm looking at this sentence from this Washington Post article. Though Trump promised to deport millions when he took office, his administration ended up sending away fewer immigrants than President Barack Obama did during his first term. These weren't immigrants. They were illegal aliens, folks. Look at how the language. It's not anti-immigrant to insist that you enforce the border, the laws and, and secure the border. It's pro-enforcement, not anti immigrant And it's not pro-immigrant to want immigration anarchy because the people most likely to be hurt by criminals from other countries, and I don't care where in the world they come from because human nature is human nature. This isn't about Latin America. I've arrested criminals from all over the world. I got an award from the government of Japan. I got a police medal. I worked with the Israelis. I sent home a guy wanted for murder in Israel. He murdered a Palestinian prostitute. He was convicted for his crime. Um, I've arrested people from Jamaica and England and Canada and and you name it, China, um, Africa. It doesn't matter because human nature is human nature. 
but the criminal aliens live among the members of the same immigrant community that most resembles who they are. And those are the people who generally fall victim to their violence. If you look at MS-13 and you pick up an article where a child has been raped or bludgeoned to death, look at the name of the child. 99% of the time, the name of the child is a Latino. So how is it pro-immigrant to allow gangbangers to remain out on the street and kill children and rape children and intimidate children? There's nothing pro-immigrant about that. This is all part of the Orwellian use of language and propaganda to make it all but impossible to have an honest conversation about anything in America today. And people are scared to death to open their mouths because they get canceled. They lose their jobs. People won't talk to them. We've never been more polarized since the, the, the Civil War. As Americans, we ought to be able to sit down with one another and have conversations and be free to speak our minds. But, of course, the people that want to control this country, the last thing they want is for Americans to compare notes because we're going to find out that we're all on the same side. And that side is on the opposite side from them, from them. There's nothing pro-immigrant about Joe Biden's policies, but they are anti-American. And that's not a statement of xenophobia. And I don't care where the aliens come from. I don't care if they come from Europe. I don't care where they come from. We already admit about a million lawful immigrants every year. And now with COVID and rampant unemployment, it was FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who ramped up immigration law enforcement to try to get America out of the Great Depression. Well, we're in a sort of Great Depression right now, aren't we? except Joe Biden is going 180 degrees in the opposite direction, throwing open the borders to people who may have diseases, people who certainly may need hospitals at a time when hospitals are running out of beds and medicine. People will die as a consequence of this, just as we saw in the nursing homes here in New York State. This is certainly not the kind of government that Lincoln waxed poetic about when he spoke of a country of the people, by the people, and for the people, unless the people have big, fat checkbooks. We need to wake up. We need to wake up our neighbors. We need to have conversations, and we need to make the politicians accountable. Enough is enough is enough. Our voices are important, and they must be heard. We must be fact-based in our approach. We must be nonviolent in our approach. We must honor the First Amendment that speaks about the rights for peaceable assemblage, but we must, by one means or another, put our heads together, put our hearts together, and come to the only conclusion that we can, that there is far more that makes us similar than makes us different, as long as we are all Americans. Please remember, folks, democracy is not a spectator sport. You really need to be involved. We all do. Check out my articles at Front Page Magazine. Uh, try to watch Newsmax this weekend and Dr. Dave Janda, Operation Freedom, Sunday, 2.30 p.m., WAAM Radio. And I'll see you next week right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. Have a great weekend. Stay safe and be well, everybody. So long for now. <laughs>